Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. Today is the second um, session with Nicole here. And so in our last session, we talked about um, Nicole's progress in starting psychotherapy in crisis and then how she's continuing to use um, psychotherapy. So why don't you kick us off, Nicole, and tell us, you know, after you started psychotherapy, uh, how did things go from there? Um, I feel like we touched a little bit upon this in our last session, but um, I think the like the first part of therapy was getting through the crisis, and then there was another part about like learning tactical skills to kind of um, deal with like worries and stresses that come up every day. And I feel like now is the phase where um, I'm kind of living my life and trying to use the skills we've talked about, and then using you almost as like um, a coach, like we talked about, to flag like, hey, you're not. Um, living by your values here, or like, hey, maybe you're actually depressed and you might not feel that way. Um, so I feel like now uh, I'm just trying to live my life and like keep in mind the things we talk about and use you to flag um, when things might be going wrong or when I could be using skills we've talked about. Yeah, that's great. And can just as review, can we can you say a little bit more about some of the skills that have been helpful that you learned early on in the process? Yeah, I think there have been like very tactical things like we've talked about, which is um, when I get like a lot of worries or my mind feels very busy about like capping it to like only allowed to think about it for a certain amount of time and actually writing down everything that's going wrong. Um, I think also noticing when I'm going into up or down moods has been helpful too. And then learning skills um, to track when that might be happening. Um, and learning like, hey, sleep affects that greatly. And so does like drinking and staying out and exercising and not exercising. Um, so being able to track those things and kind of learn when I might be headed for like a more sticky mood has been helpful. And then um, being aware once I'm in that and using the skills to um, try and make that not as deep and uh, sticky as it has to be. Yeah, that sounds great. So starting off with what you said, basically you're using a version of ske scheduled worry time where you write down all the things that you worry about, which takes the worry from something that's just like vague and looping in your mind into specific, um, the specifics of what you're afraid of. And then at that point, once you know what you're actually worried about, you can decide is this signal or noise or is it a problem to solve or an uncertainty to let pass. And also by compartmentalizing your worry at a single time throughout the day, 
you're not only signaling to your mind throughout the day, like, hey, let's, we don't talk about this until seven tonight. And then it gives you more space throughout the day. But then it also, when you decide, I'm only going to worry at seven tonight, um, you may find that you don't have as much thought action fusion at that time. You're not as worried at that time. And um, some of the things that you're concerned about are um, not as sticky at that time. Um, so thank you for that example. Can you say more about what you've done to track your mood? Like, how did you specifically go about doing that? Yeah, I have um, a separate Google calendar where every day of the week I track how many drinks that I've had that day, how much exercise I've done, and then how many hours of sleep I've gotten the night before. Um, so I can kind of flag if there's like a week where I've kind of drinking like more than two drinks every night and I haven't exercised at all and I haven't really been sleeping and I'm feeling off, then it's an easy signal for me to be like, oh, okay, I might be going into a mood shift and also um, I need to stop drinking, I need to start sleeping more and I need to start um, exercising to get myself back into like a normal and healthy pattern. That's great. Do you ever have trouble um, keeping up with that tracking or have any like resistance to the behavior change once you track? Yeah, I feel like it's almost when I'm in a fine mood and things are going well, it almost doesn't seem necessary to track. So I throw it out the window. And then it's more I feel like when I'm not feeling well, I'll be like, Oh, my God, wait, what have I been doing the past week? And then I'll go back um, and try and do that. So yeah, just making it a habit and doing even when I'm feeling fine and being healthy. Um, and just creating the habit of doing that every day has been helpful. That's a really great point. So some people struggle more tracking when they're down or when they're really anxious because somehow by putting words to it, it makes it feel more real or people get afraid of what it means. Um, the other version of this is difficulty tracking when you're feeling well for, for the reasons that you just described. So in both cases, if you think about it as um, courageous and challenging and just because you're just writing it down um, doesn't mean it isn't challenging in and of itself. The cliche term of like starting is your uh, is half the battle is really relevant here because anything that you you have to bring something into your self-awareness to accept that it's occurring and then do something to change it. So by tracking you're bringing your more self-awareness to the process and then you actually have a chance at understanding it and changing it. Um, have you noticed change over time, Nicole? Um, yeah, I would also say that I think like tracking things has become more normalized. Like I feel like there are all these apps to track how much far you've worked out. And at least I have coworkers who do track like how much, how many drinks they've had every night of the week. So it feels like almost in talking about it, I feel like I was surprised to see like, oh, it seems like a normal thing people do to track um, how often they're exercising, how much they're drinking. Um, so I think even just talking about it and being like, yeah, I don't feel so great after I have like three drinks and no exercise um, has been helpful too. Yeah, that's great. And, and you can also add in any other feature that might be related to your mental health. So if it's relevant, you could add in um, how much anxiety that you're having that day on a scale of zero to 10. Um, you could track your mood from negative 10 to plus 10 if your moods go um you know, under a baseline and over a baseline of zero. Yeah, that's um, a good point. I think I actually added that to mine where I started to do like a mood every day. And I think I used the scale that you were talking about from like negative 10 to 10. So then it was even more helpful to see like, oh, this week I drank a lot and didn't sleep. And like my mood was like negative five. Like I wonder what would happen if maybe I um, 
like got some good sleep and then I often just see it reset. Yeah, that's a great example. Thank you um, for sharing that. And can you, can you say more about how things changed over time what, since you've been tracking? Um, it's definitely easier to see, I guess, the correlation between like all three of those things and my mood. So like alcohol, sleep and exercise. Um, so I think it just brings like more awareness one to when like moods are up or down and it makes it feel more controllable. Um, and I feel like I can flag it to myself earlier to be like, oh wait, I've done this thing three days in a row. Like if I don't change it now, I've might not feel well in like the next day or two. And how does that relate to your circumstances? So a lot of times people just say their mood or their anxiety, or they either say or believe that their mood or anxiety is more related to what's happening around them than to their particular behaviors or how they're relating to themselves. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's definitely hard because in like normal times, I have a job where I travel a lot. I go to like a lot of happy hours and like events after work and stuff. Um, but I think there are things I found that I can do even when I'm like having a busy schedule that make me feel more normal. Um, so that would be like if I'm flying to a new city, maybe the night that I get there instead of meeting up for like dinner and drinks, I just like take the night off to like read in bed and kind of like reset. Um, and then also like going out to like work dinners and stuff. A lot of my coworkers don't drink. So just like setting myself, uh, like max number of drinks in my head. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'll be okay if I have two drinks, but after that I should just have like water for the rest of the night. Yeah, those are really great examples. And it was basically in your, rather than making rules for yourself, you just use your own data and see that your mood goes, if you have certain behaviors, your mood tends to go down. If you have other behaviors, your mood seems to be stabilized. So you're just um, basically acting on your own experience. Yeah. Um, great. And how do those factors um, relate to your anxiety levels? Um. I would say they're pretty closely tied. Like I've definitely found if I drink a lot and I don't sleep, then the next day my anxiety is like um, also a lot higher than it would be otherwise. And at this point, how do you relate to that? Um, if, I feel like it takes a minute. Like at first it feels very like out of control and like what's going on, but it takes a minute then to be like, oh wait, I've drank a lot and I haven't slept. Like, this is just my anxiety. Like, I need to just, like, sit, have some water um, and kind of let it pass and it will pass in time. Yeah, so it sounds like rather than getting caught in whatever you feel anxious about, like, say, for instance, would you get anxious about what happened the night before and kind of replay what happened the night before? Yeah, I was just going to say that it's really easy to like wake up the next day and then think about everything and be like, oh, I didn't say the right thing or like, oh, I could have done this differently um, and just replay all of that. Yeah. And so now, now what do you do differently? Can you say more about that? Yeah, I feel like the first trick or the hardest part is just like catching that it's anxiety. Um, and then once it's like, wait, this is like just anxiety talking. Um, just being able to like sit with it and breathe and just know that it's going to pass and not like attach myself on to any of the thoughts that are jumbling around in my head. But it's so uncomfortable to be that anxious. How do you, how do you just sit with that? 
Um, actually, I feel like what I usually do is if I'm feeling really anxious, I'm like, I'm going to go to a workout class now. Um, so it gives me a place that I have to be. It gives me like something else that I have to focus on at least for an hour. Um, and then I find a lot of times in doing that, like working out will help calm my mind. Um, and it is enough time to pass that it feels um, a little less severe too. Yeah, that's a great point. In addition to the endorphins and everything that comes with exercise, especially if you're willing while either um, in a mood state or in an anxious state to bring your anxiety along, you know, like not exercise specifically to make it go away, but notice what's happening and bring your anxiety along. Then I like what you're saying about letting time pass, that if you don't do anything to make it worse, so you don't text your friends to get reassurance, you don't replay what happened, um, you don't beat yourself up about it, you don't call someone else to tell them the story, um, you're just not doing anything that makes what you're thinking about seem like more of a threat. And then as time passes, then it gets less and less sticky. Yeah. Um, are there other areas of your life where that same process is relevant that you want to comment on? Um, I guess like we've talked about with moods and stuff, like I've noticed that if I'm more in a down mood, it's helpful to just like get back on a regular schedule, which includes like, okay, I'm just going to go to my workout class, even if I'm like not totally feeling like it. Um, and just do the things that I know usually I like or make me happy. Yeah. So that's really hard. So just like when people are in, um, a more up mood, it can be hard to track what they're experiencing because it feels like nothing's wrong. Um, I think when you're in a down mood, if you identify with that mood, it may feel like this is just who I am and what I'm feeling is something that I should take seriously. Or um, I think sometimes, not that you shouldn't take your mood seriously, but I mean um, that this is who I am. And so it's not worth it to do anything to try to make it different. That's one kind of belief that people have. Um, the other one is if I try something, it might not work. And then I'm going to feel more hopeless. Um, so I don't even want to try to do the things that typically make me feel better. Because if I continue to have anhedonia, like I don't find pleasure in what I'm doing, then I'm going to feel even worse. I wonder if you could speak to any of those beliefs and how you overcome them. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times the thought doesn't go much further than like, I really just like don't want to do this right now. I would much rather just like stay here and like be on my couch and just like do nothing than I would um, leave and like go to a workout class or like leave um, to like see any of my friends. So I feel like a lot of times that first like feeling can just like dictate everything. And I think for me, at least, it takes recognizing that, like, wait, this isn't just, like, a feeling. I'm actually feeling down. And because I'm feeling down, I need to just, like, do what I know I like to do um, regularly. Oh, um, I like your language there. So what's the difference between feeling a little bit of sadness or some loneliness, some regret or some guilt, and having a low mood? Um, I guess the first kind of feel like it's hard. It can either feel like feelings or like you were talking about, it can feel like, oh wait, this is like me and who I am. Um, so I'm just going to like act by how I feel in the moment versus being like, wait, this is just a mood that's coming over me. And if I act by um, like my values and what I know I usually like, I will get back to feeling like myself faster. 
Yes, great. I like everything that you're saying there. The other criteria that I would look for is the scope, intensity, and um, generalizability can sometimes like cue that it's a mood state. So besides the other factors like sleep changes, eating changes, exercise changes, like the urge to withdraw or the urge to do more activity than you typically do, which are signs of mood states. Um, the other thing is, for instance, if you're not in a mood state and um, I don't know what's coming to mind is you see a, a touching commercial um, that, that like makes you feel kind of sad for a second, or you hear a news story that makes you feel sad. Um, you notice that you're missing out on something that your friends are doing on social media or just because of um, shelter in place, something that you typically do, you're unable to do and you feel a little bit sad or lonely about that. That might be like a feeling that peaks and passes and you can tell that it's mood driven if the scope of it and the intensity of it seems out of proportion to what's happening. Um, so where at another time you again, like feel a little bit sad, but then it passes um, in a mood state that might become a crying spell. It might become the urge to completely withdraw from everyone. It might completely derail the whole day that you're having. Um, so those are, it might last a lot longer and become rumination. So like cues that it's um, a mood is the, the scope and how much it's generalized and then, and also how long it lasts. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, no, I think that all makes sense. I think the hard part is, yeah, putting all those like pieces and clues together when you're already in that mood and being like, oh, wait, this is just uh, like a mood and not like something about me, which I think circling back again, like has been something you've been really helpful with because it's good to talk to you and be like even crying on the screen or talking about like how awful something is. And then you've been a good signal to be like, hey, maybe this is like your mood and um, not something else. Yeah, and where I think an outside, like hopefully a, a therapist can help, but also just any other outside observer can help if you're open to the feedback, which I think you're, you do a great job of being open to the process, Nicole. Um, but um, outside observers can tell at other times you're not reacting the same way. So if you tell me a story that is very similar to a story that you maybe told, you maybe had a month ago, but at that time it didn't make you cry or you, you seem to have um, more perspective on it. Like there was more than one, um, there's more than one dimension of the story that you were keeping in mind. And then all of a sudden, for instance, let's take dating. If a month ago we're talking about dating and you're thinking, well, I like those people, but they don't, um, there were some reasons why we weren't a great match and um, the circumstances of our time make it hard to be a good match. Uh, okay, we can have that conversation. A month later in a mood state, if the same conversation is not only am I not compatible with this person, but I'm never going to be compatible with anyone. This is going to last forever and there's nothing I can do about it. That is a really different conversation about the same thing and is more indicative of a mood state than the actual reality of your dating life. Um, does that fit your experience? Yeah, that's a really good example. I feel like dating is a really good way to figure out what kind of mood you're in. 
Um, because yeah, if I'm in a good mood, it feels like, oh, that just like wasn't a good fit or like, oh, well, that's like not the person for me. Like they're lost. <laughs> Whereas if I'm in a bad mood, it feels like the end of the world. And like, there's something wrong with me that I can't figure it out. And not that it wasn't just like a match or something like that. Great. And actually, if you can use things like dating or work or exercise or food that are part of our everyday life to help yourself track your mood rather than as um, something to stay away from, something to avoid, or something that's like shameful to look at, um, those are all ways that you can um, actually try to get bring awareness to the fluctuations in your mood. And so what I mean by that is with dating, you could notice how similar situations are happening and the story is changing and sometimes more like generalized. Again, something like, this is completely my fault. It's never going to change and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I think with exercise, people will have some situations where it's like, I know it's hard to get going on an exercise routine and some days are going to be easier than others. Um, I'm just going to try to stay committed to what I value regardless of what I feel. Um, and then other times, um, someone might spiral into like, I'm never going to be able to do this. Um, there's nothing I can do about it. And it's always going to be this way. Um, your relationship with food could be like that. The, your relationship with sleep could be like that. Your relationship with work could be like that. So depending on your life circumstances, um, using any of those as anchors to show, to help yourself see that sometimes you're in a low mood and there's ways that you can get out of the, that low mood rather than making um, that thinking part of your identity and having it um, shift your what you end up doing. Um, do you have thoughts about any of that, Nicole? Um, no, I think that's all spot on. Um, okay, great. Um, so do you want to say more about um, what's happening for you now? In terms of like, immediately with the coronavirus or um sure well in light of everything that we're talking about how you've learned to manage your anxiety and how you've learned to manage your mood um you're kind of saying that your process right now is trying to implement um these skills and live by your values so do you want to just say a little bit more about what that's like for you um yeah i think like just being aware of the levers that make me feel good and not good have been like especially important with everything that's going on right now. Um, like in normal times I live alone. Um, so I think it's been like, and I live um, in like a big metro area. So I think it's hard with everything going on um, to be kind of afraid and to feel lonely and stuff. Um, so just trying to figure out and remember like what makes me feel happy and stuff and then living by that. Um, so I think when all this started, I was like, hey, it's not feeling so great being in my apartment by myself all the time and not being able to go outside. Um, so I was able to stay with family out of the city for a little bit. And it was nice um, being with people, being able to go outside, being able to exercise. And I think I realized like, oh, this is like a game changer for my mood also. And I feel a lot lifted and more positive. Um, so just still trying to like live by um, what I know puts me in good moods and makes me happier with everything going on. Yeah, and that's a great example. Perhaps we can 
end on that, that basically because you're tracking your moods, you are then able to use the data that you have to inform your decisions. So you are noticing, you know, when I'm alone and isolated, I tend to feel more lonely. It's harder to do all the things that tend to make me feel happy. So I'm actually going to take action around that and make it so that I can see other people feel less lonely and then be able to engage in daily habits that keep my mood regulated. Um, so yeah, it's not just about, um, you know, you must track, uh, because that's what your therapist says, but rather when you choose to self-monitor, you're not only bringing more self-awareness to your own process, but over time you then have the chance to use your own data to help you make decisions that keep you happy and healthy. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that example. Is there anything that you want to commit to between now and our next session? Um, I think just like continuing to track things and, um, taking note of how I'm feeling and then making decisions, um, to make sure I'm living by my values and, uh, putting myself in a better mood. Okay. That sounds great. Looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.